This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, March the 3rd, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the number one movie at the North American box office is Cocaine Bear. Michael McNeely will review. And streaming services. You may have one or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten. Are they worth keeping at least all of them? Greg David, AMI Communications Specialist, and I will contemplate that question. Alex Smythe will also conduct the roundtable. Brock Richardson will be here in a moment for a sports chat, but let's kick off the hour with the regional news updates. Beginning in the prairies, a northern Alberta band chief says Imperial Oil covered up a release of toxic tailings on land his band uses for harvesting for nine months. Imperial Imperial Oil discovered the leak last May, but the province's energy regulator did not inform the public until February 6th of this year. Alan Adams of the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation says he met personally with company officials several times during that period, but they chose not to inform him of the 5.3 million litre spill. During that nine months period, ACFN had many meetings with them, including a sit-down face-to-face between myself and the Vice President in November. Each meeting was an opportunity where they could have come clean, but they chose to hide the fact from us and over and over again. And over to Atlantic Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador's Muscat, Muskrat Rawls Hot... Whoa, boy, Dave, you are bad at reading. Newfoundland and Labrador's Muskrat Falls hydroelectricity project has encountered new problems ahead of a final round of testing that must take place during cold months. Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro says the issues have pushed a round of high-power testing to late March or early April. The Crown Corporation's latest report says a new glitch was discovered in the software that runs a subsea cable stretching from the Strait of Belle-Ile. Rob Collette, Newfoundland Hydro's Vice President of Engineering, says the high-power testing will determine if Muskrat Falls can deliver 700 megawatts of power to the province's grid. The last round of testing can only be done in winter when people crank up their thermostats and put enough demand on the grid. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for Sports Chats. Brock, mercifully, the NHL trade deadline comes to an end today. But all week, you and I have been circling around the influence of players on team decisions. It really did come to the forefront this week with the Patrick Kane trade to, to the New York Rangers. Patrick Kane, of the Chicago, formerly of the Chicago Blackhawks, had a complete no-move clause in his contract. Said, 
no, 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 you will only trade me where I want to be traded, and the New York Rangers is the only place I want to go. You also see this in the basketball world, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving influencing the Brooklyn Nets to make a bunch of roster moves and then demanding trades of their own, and certainly players like LeBron James have shown tons of player empowerment in terms of decision-making for teams they've played for. So, Brock, you've really had the idea of player influence on team decisions on your brain. What are you thinking about? Uh, it's it's something that um, I we've I've been thinking about for a while and 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 with you know the event um, the Patrick Kane uh, situation it, it really came to a head as you mentioned I, I do think players have too much influence I think it's not fair to your organization to be literally saying I'm Patrick Kane and I only want to go to the New York Rangers and if you don't trade me to the New York Rangers. I'm not going anywhere. That really uh, ties your organization and makes them really have no choice. What if they don't want any pieces from the New York Rangers? What if they want to better their organization? And the problem with all this, Dave, is the 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 player, to some degree, doesn't necessarily care when they do this sort of thing about the organization and where they leave the organization in because it's all about them when they decide I'm checked out of here and I'm gone and I want to go to the New York Rangers. That's that's it. It's done. And I don't I just don't think it's fair. Brock, can I can I push back on you? Patrick yeah. Kane did not hold a gun to the Chicago Blackhawks' head in 2013 when he signed that extension saying, you must give me a no-trade clause. They could have said, you know what? In 2013, we're just not going to re-sign Patrick Kane and we're going to trade him then. Like like the team offered in contract negotiations a no-move clause. Once you've negotiated for that, that should be yours to exercise. Yeah, and uh, and to your, and I didn't think about the no no trade being a team agreed thing, and it, it is true that 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 is you know part of it. And when you negotiate, and as you know, cliche as this si- sounds, there are two sides to, to the to the conversation, and if one side doesn't like it, then you know they can they can make a different decision mm-hmm. the thing i would say the thing i would say when you're signing a long-term deal i think people almost sort of forget that oh yes after this extension we we may lose this person and i mm-hmm. think when they when they look at it as a long-term solution and a long-term contract you kind of go oh yeah we'll get there when we get there yeah. until we get there <laughs> yeah. and then every and then everyone's discussing oh yeah but he only wanted to go to the new york rangers and it's like yeah, now we kind of put ourselves there. And and to that point, maybe the Chicago Blackhawks feel that we were going to re-sign him and it was going to be different and we're going to continue with our dynasty because that's the mentality. 2013 versus, you know, 2023 is, is, a, is a decade of time. Yeah, and so yeah. lots can happen, management can change. And sometimes when management flips within that 10 years, they weren't the ones that mm-hmm. did this no mm-hmm. trade clause. So that can also be a factor in all of this as well. Yeah, teams need to be very mindful when they're offering up these complete no-trade clauses. One of the things that's becoming more common is offering players, say, a 10-team trade list, saying, if we want to trade you, you can give us a list of 10 teams, and those are the teams we'll move you to. But again, it's all contractually obligated. Now, now, Brock, and I do want to share one more story from the hockey world about sort of team loyalty versus player loyalty, because so oftentimes that microscope gets applied to the player, 
rather than the team. When P.K. Subban signed his long-term extension with the Montreal Canadiens in 2013, it included in the last five years a full no-movement clause. Now, there's a lot of minutia in the way the collective bargaining agreement works. I won't get into all of it right now, but basically he could only get those five years after his age eligibility hit what would be unrestricted free agency. So for the first few years of the contract, he, he was able to be traded, not because he didn't want a no-trade clause, it's because he couldn't get one based on the CBA. And what did the Canadians do seven days before his no-move clause kicked in, they traded him, right? So teams can be really scummy yeah. about this too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, there are these, in an example like that, there is a deadline and the team, as you point out, can be real kind of sticky. But at the end of it all, you have to look at it and say, well, it was there and they were within their rights to do it. Does mm -hmm. it look mm -hmm. shady and uncomfortable? Yes, sure, but it's part of the contract and it's able to do it. That's like us saying... To, you know you get a phone from x company and you go you know seven days before the end of the contract and say i want a new phone and, and you're able to do that we're allowed to do that in contracts yeah. so it happens in, in real life too where we kind of leave the the companies you know high and dry because their bills are too whatever uh it, it happens in real life but in hockey and in sports it 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 comes into a yeah a, a different sort of light in all of this as well and that's just part of it. Yeah. No, no, there is a flip side here, Brock. I do want to get to the basketball world on this side of this as well. LeBron James, to me, if he's not the best basketball player of all time, he's number two and it's not even close. But the one weakness that he's shown over the course of the last 10 years is trying to do a lot of influence on trades and player acquisition. And he's pretty much been wrong every time pretty much every trade that he's advocated for has been a bad trade so i do think that sometimes players maybe need to stay a little more in their lane in regards to saying yo i know you want to play with this person but we're not going to trade the whole farm to get them we'll wait till they're a free agent we need you to exercise patience you're an amazing basketball player you're maybe not a great team builder yet and the same thing happened in brooklyn with kevin durant and kyrie irving they wanted all kinds of influence on on roster management and then demanded trades after the Brooklyn Nets bent over backwards for them. So I think there is a flip side to it, right? That says, I like players to have control over their own destiny. I get a little more uncomfortable when they're trying to flex their muscle and influence that maybe is not as well informed or well or well thought out as it could be when you're thinking about the general operation of team building. And I, and I think let's be fair. And, and again, I don't mean to be as, as abrasive as this is going to sound, but let's not forget athletes are not management and management are not athletes so just because you you're a good athlete does not mean you're going to build a good team just because your name is wayne gretzky doesn't mean you're going to coach the <laughs> coyotes to a stanley cup like the list goes on and on you don't necessarily mean that you're going to to to, to do this you know um i think teams and players make things look easy in their profession and and invariably someone will say oh i can do that too how hard is it to put together a team well it is hard to put together a team oh, it yeah. is hard to be an athlete and those things don't necessarily cross paths as easily as it makes it seem in my opinion hey brock 
All week long, you and I have been talking about transactions with this cloud hanging over it. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to sink our teeth into it today. Before I say goodbye to you, though, you are a busy man today. You're doing the sports set on Now with Dave Brown, and you're also co-hosting Kelly and Ramya this afternoon, filling in for Ramya and within. So it's it's Kelly and Brock today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. What are you looking forward to on the show today? Yes, so I love doing uh, Kelly and Ramya. Ramia, and in this case, Kelly and Brock. Today we're doing, uh, there's an alternative to Twitter. John Beeler gives us the details on that. Very interested to learn mm-hmm. about that. Um, Susan Kearney is going to be talking about plant families and their surprising relatives. And then plus we get a chatty bookshelf chat with Ryan Huey in the second hour. So all that coming up on today's program. Always a great Friday show. You should have heard the conversation Kelly and Ramya had about fried chicken yesterday. It was unbelievable. I was drooling while they were talking to Mary Mammoliti. Brock, have a great weekend. Enjoy uh, the Briar. The Briar kicks off this weekend, doesn't it? It does. We'll talk about it on Monday. I love. I look forward to you educating me about curling. That's Brock Richardson. He is at the <laughs> he's at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's mainly sunny today. The high is minus 5, feeling like minus 16. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's snow this morning, and then it's going to be a mix of sunny clouds with a chance of more snow in the afternoon. There's up to 5 centimeters expected to fall. Also, there's going to be wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 2, feeling like minus 11. In St. John, New Brunswick, there's periods of snow this morning, but then clearing up later. The highest two degrees, feeling like minus 12 as well. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's sunny. The highest minus two and feeling like minus 19 with that wind chill. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with snow expected to start either late afternoon or early evening today. There's gonna be wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour. The high is one degree, feeling like minus eight with that wind chill and a winter storm watch is in effect. To Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or possible freezing rain this morning. High is three degrees today, but with that wind chill, it's more like minus 13. In Brandon, Manitoba, it is mainly sunny today. The high is one degree, but quite cool with that wind chill, making it feel like minus 23. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds, and there's possible snow in the morning, but then it will be clearing up later. The high is 2 degrees, but feeling like minus 13. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly sunny with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is 2 degrees, but feeling like minus 17 with that wind chill. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow in the afternoon. The high is minus 1. And with that wind chill, it's more like minus 17. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it is light snow today. The high is minus 9. And with that wind chill, it's more like minus 22. As we head over to Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain or possible snow this afternoon. The high is 5 degrees, but it's feeling more like minus 5 today. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with the chance of rain or possible snow expected in the morning, and the high is five degrees today. 
And that's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll talk to you for the roundtable in a couple of minutes. But coming up next, Michael McNeely lines up a review of the movie Cocaine Bear. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Cocaine Bear is the number one movie at the North American box office. The film is directed by Elizabeth Banks. Michael McNeely will offer up a review of the film in just a moment. But let's uh, take a moment to view a scene from the film. In the clip, two people, a man and a woman, stand on a rise in a forest. I've always wanted to see a bear in real life. First on Bucks in Iceland. And now this. We have such good luck in nature. <laughs> the man looks through a camera and snaps photos. What did you see? He spots an upright black bear slamming their head into a tree. It's demented or something. What? The bear circles the tree, still slamming into it. Can I get the camera? Yeah. Give me the camera. <sighs> demented? I, I, I think we should leave it. It's, it's something wrong with it. Come on, come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> The bear stops and looks at them. Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of, Christopher. I'm not afraid. <laughs> he takes the camera back. Oh, sweetie, no, of course not. He looks through the camera again. The bear is much closer. Ooh, there's always something to fear when there's a bear around, especially a cocaine bear. But there's nothing to fear when Michael McNeely is around with a review. Hey, good morning, Michael. Good morning. I think we have a fun day ahead of us today with this one. I think that is the truth. Michael, how factual is this cocaine bear story? I'm hoping that people realize that mostly it's a work of fiction. But it turns out in 1985, there was a man bringing cocaine from Colombia to somewhere in the States where he started to have trouble with his airplane. And he needed to discard his cargo and himself. But unfortunately, the cocaine ended up being separated from him, and he died in someone's driveway. His name was Andrew Thornton, and the rest is some history. Um, that is probably not studied by high school students in any shape or form, but still history. Regardless, the bear ate the cocaine. The bear, a bear, not the bear. A bear came around and ate the cocaine and unfortunately died as a result of eating cocaine, which, ladies and gentlemen, we should not eat cocaine in whose supply or any supply at all. So that's all we have based on the true story. The bear did not attack anyone because it was just too bloated and too sick. But in this, in this movie, the bear goes on a frenzy and kills a bunch of people. This film falls under the comedy horror genre. Why was the story so fitting for that genre? I think it's interesting when um, strange things happen, when you don't really understand what's going on or why people or creatures are doing what they're supposed to be doing or not doing what they're doing. Um, I think like in, in the in the trailer or in the clip that we described to everyone, the bear is hitting its head on the tree. It's acting very strangely. So I think we're scared of bears even when they don't act strangely. 
So when they do act strangely, we should be doubly scared of them. I think, I think that's part of why it's a comedy horror film, because we, we like, we find comedy in absurdity, and we also find horror in absurdity as well. Three of the stars or actors in this film were all on the FX series, The Americans. Who were some of these big stars, and what did you think of their performances? Well, Matthew Weiss plays Angel Thornton II, who I just mentioned, dies quickly at the beginning, so it's not a spoiler. It's the reason why the bear gets the cocaine. That is actually Kiri Russell's husband in real life, and they got together after being in the Americans. They make such a great power couple, both on and off the screen. Um, we also have Michael Martindale, who is one of the best character actors in the business today. I will stand by her 100%. Um, she does a great job in this film. I was laughing and smiling whenever I saw her. And even though she's older and not exactly what you would consider to be an action star, she does do some action stuff. Um, so I think everyone did a good job in their performances. I think the performances across the board were human. They were, you know, relatable. There's no standoffish characters. There's nobody that you, you want to hate. Everybody is interested. Ray Liotta also stars in this film. Ray Liotta, of course, passed away last year. How did it feel watching him on screen after his passing? It was complicated. I think I think he's been he's been good in other films. So I tried to give him the credit um, of the doubt. But he just looked a bit frail and he looked like he was in poor health during this film, which I can imagine he was. The film is dedicated to his memory and I will just continue to remember him when he was much younger and healthier. And hopefully, you know, others will do the same. Let's be clear, though, Michael. The real star of this movie is the bear. Why do you think audiences are so attracted to larger-than-life animals? Well, first of all, the bear is hilarious. The bear has no reason to be hilarious, but it is hilarious. Like, when you start seeing the bear on, in the film, it's bashing its head into a tree, um, and it just it gets worse from there. It, takes, it actually takes a cocaine shower, so I will leave it for you to imagine what that is. And um, my favorite part is, of course, where the bear sneezes cocaine, which is um, is a good way to know if somebody's on cocaine to see if they sneeze it or not. I mean, that was that was something I learned about. Um, I think I think the best thing to do is not to feed any wild animals. Yes, That's the last I learned. Um, I think even if the bear wasn't on cocaine, as I mentioned, it would still be scary. That's basically the plot of the film Back Country, which is a Canadian film where a married, married or just engaged couple have to fend off a bear in the woods. The bear is perfectly normal, but still deadly. I think we like animal films because those are animals that we don't understand. Those are animals that we're trying to see if we can beat, even if we're human beings that have an advantage most of the time. But in these films, the human beings don't have an advantage. So it's man versus wild, if you will. And it's just, I think there's four kinds of conflict that we can talk about. We can talk about humans versus other humans, humans versus their own minds, 
humans versus nature and humans versus the paranormal. So I think cocaine bear combines all those conflicts into one big bear. Cocaine Bear was a monster at the box office last weekend. It's expected to be a monster at the box office this weekend as well. A lot of positive word of mouth. How likely do you think this kind of movie or this film itself may spawn a franchise? I don't want it to start a franchise. I'm tired of all these franchises that keep coming out of nowhere. They sort of hint at it when you get to the end credits about it's starting to franchise because a different animal may or may not get cocaine. But I just I just I just want them to do one thing, one done and all. Um I think I think ultimately if people love their IP enough, then the big studios will want a franchise of it. We already know that there's some big horror films based on this that are being made, and, and they're rip-offs, basically, but mm. as long as they're not being fooled into thinking that you're watching a cocaine bear, when I mean, there's actually another film, there's no harm in that. But I just say, just leave the cocaine bear alone and find something else to yeah, do. Yeah, but, but Michael, let's be clear. You know Hollywood won't do that. Hollywood has a hit on their hands, so you just know in two years' time you and I are going to be talking about Methagator. I know. Well, I think that's already happening. I think that, ironically enough, you've you've named a movie that is actually coming out. <laughs> um, it's. I'm not joking. Um, it, you didn't even have to try. It came up with the name of a movie. So there's, you know, all you need to do is have a tiger. This is an actual movie. It's called Burning Bright. It's about <laughs> a woman with autism who lives in a house, and then the tiger comes and spins. It's in a hurricane. And it lands in the house. So listen to me, Dave. All I can say is that you can have G- GPT come up with ridiculous plots. Ecstasy, ecstasy, ecstasy cougar. Yes, ecstasy cougar. Okay, that's a good one. That's uh, should, other, otherwise known as Thursday's nightclub in Montreal. Uh, well, inside joke. You would, you would have more experience with that than I would. Mm. Uh, Michael, before I get myself in too much trouble, what are some other good creature films you suggest people check out? Well, I just mentioned, uh, what is it called? I always, I always want to say Tycho Tycho Burning Bright because I studied the poem when I was in uh, university. But it's called Burning Bright. And it is about a tiger that comes to fight a girl with autism, which seems like a fair fight, of course, in a, in a house in a hurricane. Um, there's Squall, which is about a father and daughter fighting alligators in their um, house. There is that, uh, damn it, there was that movie, it's a um, Beast, Beast with Idris Elba. That just came out last year. I think you mentioned it a little bit. And I think for any animal, for any animal, there's probably a movie about it. And of course, you have to call back the the main one is Cujo. That's where I all started from. Stephen King is where it's at. So you can skip the children of the corn, though. The new one sucks, but you can watch Cujo instead. And don't forget about water animals either. You got to do Shark Attack 2. Shark Attack 2, that's a good one. As well as Piranha 3. I did, th- I did, I did do. I did do water animals. I did a crocodile yep. or alligator. Yeah, don't don't so forget. I don't know if you consider those water animals. D- don't, but, um, don't don't forget about Piranha 3D Double D. That's an all-time classic. 
It's too. I mean, it, it hopes if you watch that in 3D. I'm not here to explain why I think it's quite obvious. <laughs> Other than that, yes, it's got uh, every every animal, every animal attacks humans. So it just it's just a matter of time before you get cocaine panda bear. Yeah, there we go. Boom, sequel, greenlit right away. Uh, Michael, fi- time finally, time for your rating. How many lines out of ten do you give Cocaine Bear? I think uh, I give it eight lines. And you can use the Miwa for the other two lines. Um, that doesn't even make any sense. But it doesn't make any sense either. This movie doesn't make any sense. But the whole point is to turn your brain off. And the whole point is to have fun watching the bear's news cocaine. I mean, listen, if I, if I had any idea that I would be here as a former critic telling you to enjoy a bear's news and cocaine, I would have um, maybe questioned my, my prospects. But you know what? I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that everybody had fun making this film because we need more films like this other than the fact that I don't want it to be a franchise, so don't take that as, a, as me condoning the franchise. But people need to have fun in the theater. People need to get away from the the, the, the true terrors of the real world and they need to watch a bear's news cocaine. So, so be it. Right on. That's exactly what I'm doing this weekend. Looking forward to a catching this one at the cinema. Michael, thank you for this. Have a great weekend. You too. Have a, have a, remember, remember, Dale. Did you take Dale? I, I, when you were, the Dale program. Oh, I, d- I dare to keep kids off drugs. Yes. But you keep the bears off drugs. Okay, they're, they're, dare, dare to keep bears off drugs. It rhymes even better. That's Michael McNeely with a review of Cocaine Bear. The film is in theaters and rated R. Coming up after the break, Alex Smith stops by for a roundtable chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Nazreen Abdelmajid is standing by. I must have sent a bad email yesterday because Alex Smythe is considering uh, managing nasty emails. Uh, yeah, Dave. So, I mean, we've, we've all gotten these emails before, whether someone's uh, whether it's work or personal. Someone's upset. They're frustrated. They got a bone to pick with you. So I, I just want to throw it out to the uh, the round table and find out, like, how do you guys deal when you get a nasty email from somebody? Do you try to, like, respond right away? Do you kind of wait a few days, wait for the situation, the person to cool down a bit before you respond? Or do you not respond at all? Nisreen, let's start with you. I find it hard to keep it professional when I'm angry in an email. Um, I've had this in the past with a client and what I end up doing is just taking a few hours to cool off because I don't want to regret sending out an email or uh, I get one of my family members to kind of just proofread, (laughs) you know, just to keep it professional, but, you know, get the point across. So yeah, I would either take a few hours to cool off or get somebody to proofread but yeah 
I uh, I don't get angry emails. Everyone loves me. I'm the best person oh, in the yeah. world. I only send angry emails. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. When, I, when I'm anticipating that an email that I'm going to get is going to be uh, rocky or contentious, uh, I will actually sometimes ignore it for 24 to 48 hours because uh, I just don't want to read it and I live in fear and I curl up in my bedroom and I pretend that that email mm. isn't waiting for me. That, that That's how I manage these things. Uh, but then when I do write back, I, I try not to match the tone. I really try to like level things out. But Alex, something else that I'll typically do if I find an email exchange is getting particularly annoying, I'll actually pick up the phone and give the person a call and be like, something's getting lost in writing here, let's chat. What's your strategy? Uh, yeah, so uh, for me, if it's one of those things that I don't actually need, like it depends on the context of the email, but if it's just someone like lashing out, you know, there's a good chance I won't respond at all. You know, it's like I I don't want to put up with with your your negative energy, your angry tone. If it's something that you know I need to respond, or if it's on an issue that we need to hammer out, yeah, Dave, I'm like you. I will probably you know pick up the phone, probably not right away because I I don't want to escalate the uh, the uh, issue, but I'll probably wait a little bit and be like, okay, let's get on the phone, let's talk about this, let's let's try to work this out. Clearly, both sides are getting frustrated on it. But if if someone's just coming and and being angry or 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 kind of being mad at me for something, and it's like I don't have to respond to anything, I'm not going to. I'll probably just either archive the email, delete it, or or just flat out ignore it because yeah, I I got no time for that. Alex, has that been an evolution? Is that is that personal growth? Was there was there a different Alex Smythe ten years ago? Oh yeah, I, I would be like fuming over the the laptop and be like, oh, I'm I'm gonna tear you a new one. Here it goes, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm I'm gonna go tit for tat. I'm going to destroy you in this email. And then, you know, it it's you realize you don't really gain anything from it. It's like you you can tell. Well, they're already at this place. Well, fine. I, they don't need to know how I feel about it. I, I, it's a secret weapon to hold your emotions in check and keep other people guessing. So so why give them the uh, you know, the yeah. the hand that uh, you're dealing with right now. So, yeah, I, I definitely have changed my tone over the years. Plus, when you're dealing in a, a workplace and professional environment, you got to be a bit more careful because yeah. there's yeah. things called yeah. repercussions and HR meetings and stuff you want to avoid. So, yeah, that's its best way. To do yeah, Nazreen, how does that change for you in maybe the personal life versus the professional life? Are you more likely to sound off on one of your friends? Let me tell you, if it's a per if it's my personal life and it's if it's one with one of my friends, I do pick up the phone and I call them and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> um, if it's professional, I do kind of isolate myself, kind of try to cool down because I will send an angry email. I've done that in the past. And in the past, I've I've had Bridezillas and who are <laughs> I, I definitely did. I I still have bridezillas, and it's something that's common, unfortunately. And they don't think that you know, uh, the vendor is important as much. So I have to keep reminding them that I'm providing you with a service. So don't give me sass, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, of course, in a professional way, yeah. Um, but like, if it's a text message, that's a whole different story. If it's a text message, I do kind of take a few days. I don't reply. Mm. Yeah, sometimes it's better to swallow your anxiety and rage deep down inside until it comes out in an explosion of Jameson four or five days later. <laughs> Alex, have a great weekend. Yeah, you too, Dave. Hopefully you don't get any angry emails during this Well, time. you never know. Nazreen, <laughs> thank you. Have a great weekend as well.
You too. That's Alex Smythe and Nazreen Abdelmajid coming up after the break. Man, are there too many subscription services? And is it worth keeping them all? Greg, David, and I will contemplate that question. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The AMI 2023 scholarship program is back. There are some details you need to know about, and Greg David has them. Greg is a AMI communication specialist in Chelsea, Quebec. Hey, good morning, Greg. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? Really well, Greg. The AMI scholarship, a really valuable program, a great opportunity to put a little bit more money in people's, in students' pockets. But it's really important to note here about eligibility requirements and the application process. So who's eligible and what does that application process look like? Yeah, so you uh, you uh, you need to be a student who's heading into a post-secondary education or is in a post-secondary education at this point. Uh, they uh, they need to identify as having a, a permanent disability. Uh, you need to be a Canadian resident as well. But uh, yeah, basically those are the the eligibility guidelines. And when you go to the applicant through the application process, you're kind of walked through all of that as well. And so there are you know uh, it's it's very comprehensive and just lays everything out. So it's nice and easy to understand so there's a couple steps involved here we'd be here all day if we sort of broke them down step by step but yeah. where should a student or maybe their family member or a friend say oh my gosh you'd, you'd be eligible for this where should they go to learn a little bit more so you can go to uh, ami.ca slash scholarship Nice and easy. AMI.ca slash scholarship. All the information is there, uh, also as well as the links to go into the application process. The deadline is there. And uh, and at the end of it, we're going to be awarding two students, one from the English community, one from the French community, uh, $5,000 each, as well as a sweet queen-size temper cloud mattress from our <laughs> friends at Tempur-Pedic, valued at approximately like just under $3,000. So that is nothing to sneeze at. So $5,000 and a mattress, go for it. Apply now. I don't know if that mattress will fit in your dorm room but i can think of some things that students might <laughs> like to do with it uh greg uh when's the deadline because we know students uh, do like to procrastinate yeah so they've got until wednesday may the 31st at 5 p.m eastern to apply ami.ca slash scholarship may 31st 5 p.m eastern time and don't you worry i'm going to be bombarding you with that messaging left right and center as if i was a concerned parent telling you it's money that you can use on stuff like books and rent so i'll be a hammering that home over the course of the next couple of weeks greg you are a tv fanatic i'm a tv fanatic we consume tv in a number of different ways including on the lovely cable services but mm -hmm. Greg, streaming services continue to expand. Every time I turn around, somebody else is telling me I need to subscribe to their streaming service. I wonder if we've reached this tipping point, Greg, where there's too many and is it even worth it? So before we all the way jump into some of the philosophy, if I were to look at your visa statement, how many services would I see at, on, on any given month? Okay, I wrote it down this morning because I thought, okay, I need to do my research. And this is a conversation that I probably should be having with my partner because when I <laughs> added it all up, 
So at Netflix, I'm paying $20 a month. For Apple TV Plus, I'm paying $8.99. For BritBox, which is a British show streaming services, that's $12. Paramount Plus is $11.49. Acorn TV, another British streaming service, is just over $8. PBS Masterpiece, so that I get my classic PBS and murder mystery <laughs> shows, that's $10.34. And then Amazon, which I pay uh, per year, but that's monthly $9.99. So mm. without the taxes included in this dave i'm paying over 80 dollars a month just on streaming Oof. services yeah that and is... i also have basic and i also have basic cable on top of that which they'll have to pry from my cold dead hands because <laughs> i'm never giving up basic cable if, so that's somewhere around 60 dollars a month if you're a sports fan basic cable still becomes yeah. one of the absolute best resources also if you're now with dave brown fan basic cable is also your friend yeah. through and through <laughs> uh greg so when you start breaking down that list there like there's a lot there mine is not as big as yours but i definitely have the netflix going i've got the amazon prime going i've got the DAZN going d-a-z-n for a lot of sports yeah. access and man, those bills pile up, let alone like once you factor in my Spotify accounts, all these yep. different things, right? Like you're paying a lot for streaming. And one of the big conversations going on with Netflix right now with, with the crackdown on some password sharing and maybe just a little bit of a dwindling of interesting content, there's a question being posed. Is it worth it? Is it worth mm -hmm. the dollar? So as you look at your list, would you say any of those have a particular bang for the buck? Yeah, actually, one that isn't on the list, I would say CBC Gem. I think that that's one that kind of falls by the wayside. Uh, and, uh, you know, the reason that I mention it is that there is a free tier. So there is advertising and that advertising can get really annoying really quickly. Um, so I do pay a dollar or two. Again, there we go. CBC Gem. I'm paying for that, too. I forgot about that. I also forgot about Disney Plus. But anyway, um, but I still think the best bang for buck is CBC Gem because you're not only getting great Canadian content and I've always been a homer about Canadian content. And I think that we make fantastic television yeah. here in this country that is worth checking out. So there's that. But there's also the, also the international flavor and the feature films. So I applied to Netflix in the very beginning because of those international shows that it was giving me access to. CBC Gem has really become that as well. There are great uh, uh, UK dramas and comedies that are available on Gem. There are some Nordic dramas, some of those murder mysteries that are available on CBC Gem, as well as feature films from around the world. So when it's coming down to bang for buck... Uh, and a lot of the stuff actually is available with described video, which yeah. we often forget when we're talking about accessibility. Um, but you can't forget about that either. CBC Gem is really good at that, as well as with their closed captioning. So I think bang for buck, I'd say CBC Gem, which might not be a popular choice, but it is for me. One of the things that I've started considering, Greg, and this is something that, this is something that Ramya Amuthan does as well, she puts her stuff on a bit of a rotation. She'll be into something for three or four months, pause the subscription, move on to something else, and then mm. kind, of, kind of tier it like that. Have you ever considered some strategies like this to maybe instead of worrying about which one gives me bang for the buck, how can I actually maximize the way that I'm utilizing these services? I think that that's a really smart way of going at it. And I have heard Ramya talk about that before. And I think that that is a good and logical way, you know, of, of trimming 12 to $15 a month or even more. Uh, because a lot of times when you do cancel, the, those services will come back to you and say, hey, listen, you know, we'd love you to come back and we'll give you a month for free. Uh, so I think that that is a really good tactic. And, and, also, you know, that fear of missing out, right? And I think that's the reason why I subscribe to so many services because there are so many great programs that I want to watch yeah, and have yeah. access to. And so that's why I pay so much. But I think that that is a really good tactic. Go through, 
get rid of those ones you don't absolutely need and rotate them throughout the year because then actually you're building up excitement for yourself because you think, great, I'm signing up for Paramount Plus for the next month and I can binge on all of these shows that I need to catch up on and then cancel and move on to the next thing that I wouldn't want to binge. That's really smart. Yeah, Greg, there's only about 45 seconds here, but but does it feel like we've reached an oversaturation point? Like once you start considering like the Discovery Pluses and the YouTube Pluses and yeah. all these different elements, like like some that we like we haven't even mentioned Crave in this conversation yet nope. today. Like like there's just so many. So Craig, Greg, have we reached this point where we've just had a point of total oversaturation? Absolutely, yes. I come from the generation where I had a television set and I had a handful of channels that I was watching on the regular. I'm so overwhelmed with the programming that is out there, and there are so many shows that I know that I'm never going to have time to watch, uh, either by myself or with my partner. And I guess that's it, too. I, I want to be able to talk about these shows and enjoy them and discuss them with other people, but there's just too much out there, and I think I need to come at that like, Greg, you're never going to be able to watch them all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've reached that point. Hey, Greg, thank you for this have a great weekend you too thanks that's greg david that's all the time we have for the show this week i want to say thank you to the people who put this show together and the best way to do that is to make a big list so until monday i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun and let's roll those credits gang host dave brown co-host producer alex smite sports reporter brock richardson Contributors, Rami Amuthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Baclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion jones Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Octobi. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of Content Development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.